Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again, our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Uh, another fun week of talking with so many people. Um, we did a lot of career advice this week. People who wanted to get into the field, uh, talk to me, talk to Julie. Uh, that's really fun. A lot of people, uh, it's so gratifying when I get like the texts or email, like, thank you for the podcast. And we got into, made my first therapy appointment and... Um, it really makes doing this on a weekly basis so um, so meaningful. And uh, Julie and I are continuing to figure out how to do Instagram. Uh, I think I've put two reels and picture of my myself and my dad in honor of him, and a uh, picture of Julie because people want to kind of connect the face to the voices that they're listening to. And um, Appreciate uh, all the trust and faith that you have in Julie and I. So I will give you all the contact information, how to get a hold of us, because the last two episodes I've given the wrong Instagram uh, address. It's actually psychology underscore unplugged underscore uh, uh, on Instagram. Again, with the water. All right. So today's topic, I want to focus on shame. Um in, in my experience in working in mental health, um, shame is something that I've, I've, I've witnessed enough times to decide to do a podcast on it. And it seems there's a dichotomy between psychiatric conditions and medical conditions. Um, I have high blood pressure. I take medication. I don't have any shame about it. Um, people don't generally have shame about diabetes, uh, shame about even even cancer. But when it comes to mental health, because it's so uh, individualized and unique, there's a sense of perceived defectiveness. And people tend to go inward. Now, we've evolved, I think, somewhat uh, as as a civilization, at least in, in the United States, uh, if you go back to, you know, they used to just put Crazy Uncle Harry, you know, in the fifties, you know, they they hid Crazy Uncle Harry because it was an embarrassment to the family. Um, so there was a lot of shame, and when I when I'm testing older individuals and getting a lot of background information, it's really there's a lot of information that's missing because they would always say, "Yeah, there was stuff there, but no one talked about it." And if you did talk about it, uh, you were quickly shut down by by a parent in the house or a family member. Uh, so you know, it wasn't that people were ignorant to it; it's just. Um, whether they blame themselves for their parenting styles or they blame the other individual, whatever, it, it really wasn't talked about. And I, and I think the advent of technology with the blessings and the curses that it has, we have much more access to uh, educating ourselves and, and, and educating um you know, just our, our podcast audience about mental health from the perspective of what it really is, because it is so diametrically opposite from what you see on television and in movies, uh, characters in books or anecdotal stuff. Um, and it's, it's a very privileged uh, career that I have, and I, I'm sure Julie can say the same, that um, it, 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 
one of the main reasons I could mention for doing this podcast was to legitimize mental health, destigmatize it, but also give a sense of hope. And if you're an individual who has a psychiatric condition or you're in relationship with someone who has a psychiatric condition, uh, if pay attention if, if, you, if you feel shame because there is no shame. Uh, don't equate like depression with de- de- defectiveness, even schizophrenia, borderline personality, uh, bipolarity. There is no shame in it. These are these are physiological conditions. Some are overlearned conditions, like the personality disorders. But I, I, again, from working with as many patients as I have, um, uh, you'd see a lot of times in families, and that there are you know there's. Uh, spiritual and religious components that that factor in um different parts of the country um you know we get to like the gender identity disorders uh, a lot of kids struggle a lot of parents feel a lot of shame people who've been psychiatrically hospitalized uh parents have a lot of shame uh please don't tell anybody don't let anybody know don't tell your friends don't don't post on social media but it's also shame of somebody maybe who has been psychiatrically hospitalized when they're discharged it's like oh my god my life is that bad that I had to be in a psychiatric hospital. Um, what's the difference if you go to the hospital to have your hip replaced, or you go to the hospital to, you know, have a mole removed? And it, you know, so I'm trying to just draw some really some parity that it, it's interesting how we don't equate shame with the, the physical conditions, but there's a lot of. Um, interconnectedness with shame when it comes to psychiatric conditions and the question is why you didn't you didn't create bipolarity you didn't create schizophrenia you didn't create borderline personality now is is, is it in people sometimes are shameful of the actions that they they do depending on the different conditions that they have there may be shame of somebody's self-injures um because a lot of times I'll ask people, like, you know, generally, like, if history of self-injurious behaviors, not only what what did you do, was it cutting, was it burning, was it headbanging, but if it's sick with cutting, where? When people say they, they, that where people cut is very important because if you're cutting on your hips and your thighs, that's generally you don't want anybody to know, and there's shame associated with that. Uh, versus people who are very overt and whether it's attention seeking, transferring emotional pain to physical pain, uh, form of self punishment, feeling numb. So I think that's a really good example. Like what you know, somebody if somebody says tells me that they cut on their legs and their hips, and they generally say it's because you didn't want anybody to find out. They'll say yeah, or I wore. You know, I always wear long clothes or, or, or long long pants because I don't want anybody to, anybody to find out. If you don't want anybody to find out, the reason is because there's shame associated with it. Do not penalize yourself for the struggles that you have. It's only going to add to the to the symptoms and, and exacerbate the problem. Again, do not equate mental health with being defective. Everything is treatable. Some things are curable. Others are not, but can be effectively managed with, with, with the right psychiatric medications and, and the right type of psychotherapy. Um, Juliana? Oh, I thought you were waving at me. So, um, you know, I, I, easier, easier said than done. Uh, there's a lot of shame in, in substance abuse, um, especially when people have relapsed. 
and have relapsed multiple times in, you know, dealing with mental health issues is, is work. It does not happen overnight. You know, depression doesn't dissipate after one therapy session. It, uh, you know, substance abuse doesn't dissipate, you know, other people that just kind of quit cold turkey, but there could also be shame if the, if, you know, someone substance abuse creates a path of destruction in, in their family, or if somebody's, you know, they, 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 they've, you know, Maybe there was domestic violence, uh, infidelity because they were under the influence, DUIs, stuff like that. And so, you know, yes, I mean, is shame a real emotion? Absolutely. But I think when it becomes, when you live a shameful life, you're really, you're really making it hard on yourself to, to, to see anything for what it, what it could be and what it, what it can be. And you know when you're in the in the midst of, of of the height of your symptomatology, that's really when it's, I think shame really rears its ugly head. Or I think when we, people do like uh, a retrospective analysis, like oh my god, I did that. Oh my god, I did that. Oh my god, I did that. So I think I think shame exists even without mental illness. But there's so much shame around it, and I've really tried through this podcast to take that away because the, whatever it, whatever you're diagnosed with or your family members diagnosed with, it is something that you have, and it is not something that you are. Very, very important uh, way to conceptualize it. Don't embrace and own your diagnosis. Don't deny it or diagnoses, but don't define yourself by it. Don't let it be the coat that you put on every day and never take off. Um, but there are some people, you know, this is not about shame, but there are some people who are very married to their psychiatric conditions and for a variety of reasons don't want help. But I think a lot of that is there's fear. There's fear of like, what would it be like to not have these thoughts? What would it be like to, which, which seems almost like ironic or illogical, but there are individuals that come across them that, you know, they, they, they are they become married to their diagnosis and really are I think they fall into that that category of the episode I did on like help rejectors. Um, so, but shame in and of itself um, is, is replete throughout mental mental illness, and I think uh, society we we look down on people. You know, we look we I think there's there's a lot of judgment focus that if you know oh my God she was in the she was in the hospital or you know did you, did you hear so and so you know they cut. You know, so it's it's gossipy too, because in psych, the brain kind of takes a whole different perspective that may not be the most rational or the most logical, uh, making the most appropriate behavior. So I think, you know, a lot of us can feel shameful. Um, and I said the difference between feeling, you know, and then feeling bad or feeling guilty are two totally different emotions. And Adler explained this. Um, his definition of guilt was. Guilt is nothing more than the feelings that you never had. Versus bad is where you you there's a genuine emotional connection to whatever action somebody does, what they what they've said, what they didn't say, what they you know. Um, so feeling bad has a general emotional connection. Feeling guilty is you're just you're you're portending, not pretending, portending the the. The societal expectation of how you should behave or or react, but you don't really feel that. So, really important distinction. Um, and a lot of people with mental health, um, especially more of the severe chronic ones, um, 
they're they sometimes they can't get out of their own way and when you factor guilt and shame and and you know guilt i think is also associated with you know if if, if you're in a relationship and, and you know your, your your family is constantly taking you to the to the emergency room or you know they have to drive you to your therapy appointments or you know they you know and shame of like even even like medications you know god forbid if you if you have risperdal you know you don't want to leave that out if um you know, your housekeeper's coming or you're, you're having a party at the house. So there's a lot of shame with that, too. But, you know, if, if it was aspirin, you would, wouldn't care. wouldn't make any difference. But the names in them themselves, you see psychiatric medication, oh, they must be really screwed up. And depending on the med, okay, Prozac, that's depression. But, you know, like Risperdal, mood stabilizer, lithium, oh, they're bipolar. You get like Tegiodon, Zyprexa. So there's a lot. But you're not going to see like like maybe Adderall, Ritalin, Conservative, Vyvanse. Okay, they have ADHD. Um, probably not so much with like Xanax, Clonopin, Ativan, you know. But I'm just talking about if you just look at this, you know, if you're having a party, and you had your medication out. Okay, I don't know why we would have our medication out, but I'm just using this as an example. The, the, the psychiatric medications have a very different connotation versus if you left your, you know, level thyroxin or, or your Crestor out. There's really not a lot of shame associated with that. So it's not just the diagnosis in and of itself. It's also the medication. It's, you know, you know the people have shame that they go to therapy. Um you know, they have shame that, that they're one, they're in therapy. Uh, it generally doesn't tend to come out when, when you're doing therapy with somebody, but uh, yeah, but I, I can't talk about this at home. I, I can't, you know, I, I can't share this, you know, and, and, you know, we have to maintain doctor, you know, patient confidentiality unless somebody is a threat to themselves or others or their minors. There's, there's concerning conditions, but uh, people telling their stories Generally, as you know, it, it, it's emotional when you, I'm getting all this background information. Uh, I, I could sense it. I don't generally bring up the term. I, I have on occasion when people have expressed the shame they feel. Um, but when people are telling their stories, I think there's a sense of relief, but there's also a sense of, a, definitely a sense of shame that they did something wrong. And you know you can't always you know justify all everybody's behaviors because well I, I did that because I'm I have borderline you know you know a member said justifications are not explanations or explanations are not justifications um, so telling the telling the story I I, I can feel that energy from people and it's interesting to watch but there's I think there's also a sense of relief because I, I do my best to be like in, in you know very present like okay I get it I'm not judging you. You know, and I even ask about substance abuse. I'm just I'm gathering information. This is not about judgment at all. So, um, I think Julie wants to pop on, as we usually do. So, oh, you're waving me down like you're stopping traffic. Jesus. Um, hi, everybody. Um, thank you for listening, and thank you for following, and thank you for the lovely comments on our Instagram. Page, um, very very touching. Haven't figured honestly. out how to reply yet. Yeah, I don't think you know how to reply. And honestly, the the, com- the comments were just so lovely. Um, thank you for those. Um, in lieu of talking about shame and um, destigmatizing mental health, 
I think I just want to kind of come back to if you if we're, if we're talking about shame and talking in in moving through this life on the journey that we all are on our all all of our separate journeys. I think it's so important to remember in the face of shame, be kind to yourself. And when someone else is, feels shame, be kind to them, as long as it's safe, as long as you're not, you know, uh, healthy boundaries are very important. I talked about that last week. I really believe that um, kindness is is good and is, is healing. Um, I did uh, come across a few things this week that I wanted to share with you first and foremost was um, talking about like not specific research. I'm not, um, I'm just kind of um, paraphrasing here, but when someone receives an act of kindness, their serotonin goes up. Their serotonin availability in the brain goes up. At the same time, it does two things, not not only does it raise serotonin, but it also improves the immune system. It makes it stronger. That being said, if you act kindly toward others, and any of you who have, and I'm sure you all have at one point in time, done something kind for somebody else, whether it was a very... um, obvious uh, gesture of kindness or if it's an anonymous gift of kindness if it's just doing something nice for someone else that also raises serotonin in the person actually doing the act of kindness also improving the immune system lastly The same thing happens when we witness an act of kindness. We don't have to be involved, but just by witnessing an act of kindness gives us a rush of serotonin and also strengthens our immune system. I feel like it's very important to say that because I find that When I see kindness, um, when I act kind, or when someone does something kind for me, it, it really makes a lot of sense. It makes you feel good. Sometimes when people are very depressed and down, one of the huge uh, symptoms there is isolation and withdrawal. When in fact, someone who is depressed may want to consider giving something away, volunteering, doing something nice for somebody else, because also if someone is on medication, an act of kindness, whether you're giving, receiving, or witnessing, will increase serotonin availability in the brain, which makes us feel good, which I should say makes us feel God. Although I'm not a religious person, you know mean by now that I'm a spiritual person. So, the core talked a lot about shame, but I'm talking not 
about shame. I'm talking about your mind. I want people out there to, you know, when we move through life, we experience, our ego experiences a lot of um, stimulation um, via our senses. Ironically, to assuage those feelings that sometimes our senses, whether we see something that upsets us, hear something that upsets us, uh, we feel something that upsets us, um, you know, we could go on and on. But through your senses is how we, our senses is how we interpret the world. That is not necessarily the case. I think the more that I'm researching this and exploring this and, and being radically open to this is the the natural world around us is is not the thoughts that we have in our head are not always real but if something upsets us it's because we've received information through one of our senses the flip of that i would suggest and this is where dialectical behavior therapy comes in which I don't care if Corey doesn't agree with me, but I'm going to express my views anyway, is, you know, it was developed so that people who had borderline personality disorder um, didn't have the skill set from the get-go, from when they were small, to, to survive, to feel okay, to feel okay in their own skin. And dialectical behavior therapy has different um, modules to it. But the one I'm going to talk about is the grounding. Grounding is something you can do with your senses. This is something that you can do this week. You know, take a notebook, piece of paper, label all of your senses, you know, hearing, taste, sight, touch, smell, also movement. That was also included in the dialectical behavior therapy model. And figure out on your own, because we're all very unique, in all of those domains of our senses, what on this earth, or maybe not of this earth, calms that sense in that moment? I, I, I'm saying this to you because this is what I've done with my clients. Um, I did it as a therapist. Um, I ran groups around this. I had individual therapy clients. Um, uh, this is something that I've carried with me for a very long time. And it's very important that you know this because this is what you can, you can take this anywhere. I, I, you know, they overuse the word toolbox and therapy, but, um, or a backpack, you know, something you can take with you and always have. Sometimes, let's say, if someone's triggered, and not everybody loves that word either, but I don't care, uh, if someone's triggered by something, um, they might be calmed down by hearing someone's voice who they know cares about them. Or they could look at, a, a, watch a movie that makes them laugh. Um, something to switch and something to ground yourself in the moment. I tried to say this last week, but I didn't get to it because I don't really like to quite quote the Bible. Um, I don't. Um, it's not something I, I took out of the Bible from my own reading from the Bible. I'm paraphrasing from somebody else. But in, in 
most moments of our lives, even when we're kind of swirling with anxiety, if you say to yourself, all is well, if you say the mantra, all is well, because really all we have is this moment, the present moment. And I forget this all the time. Believe me, I am a work in progress. I catch myself doing this all the time. But if you have that reference point and you have a way to change the way you react to a situation, it can feel very empowering and it can make you feel, it it improves your self-esteem. It decreases your anxiety. A lot of people, um, and including dialectical behavior therapy, um, meditation, um, that is absolutely a thousand percent not fluffy anymore. I've said this before. This is medically proven to help people get through difficult moments and and actually experience true peace. And whether or not, whatever you believe in, you know, the source energy, is it God? Is it, you know, is it Buddhism? Is it Taoism? Is it, you know, um, Hindu or or any other spirituality out there? Um, that's what it really comes down to. It's like, am I really, what, I'm, what am I feeling? Am I really feeling, is this feeling real? Because we can be a slave to our feelings. Our feelings will take us, you know, we'll be driving on the highway, feeling comes up, take a left off the ramp, now you're in another town, not even in your destination. So you're staying, trying to stay on your destination, right? But we get distracted and derailed. And the, the most important thing is that we don't shame ourselves for doing that but that we empower ourselves and practice this and try to get back on track on our own and also with therapy, which is always great to have. And this is just something that you can do in your daily practice. Like, oh, there it is. I, oh, oh God. Okay. Now I know where that's from. That's an old wound. You know, the thing about healing in our, in our physical bodies is that we cut ours. If we cut ourselves, our body takes care of itself. You know, our body, our natural energy, our matter, what we are, our, our actual being, our spiritual being and our physical being is, is, is supposed to heal. That's the nature of things supposed to heal. So if you watch this cut you have, you see that over time it will heal. So why is it that we walk around life, myself included, with our open wounds, and we keep them open. Why do we do that? Does it make things better? I mean, do you tell your cut on your hand, don't heal? I want you to stay open so everyone can see that I I cut myself or I hurt myself. And, you know, I I mean, it's just stuff to think about. Um, I I truly believe that, um, you know, bringing bringing kindness and love to the presence of hate. Um, Shame is a form of self-hatred, and it's a form of hatred if someone's shaming you. And, um, you know, lucky for any of you who have never been shamed, but unfortunately, it's very, very common. But shame isn't real. It's shame that was put on us. We, we weren't born with shame. We didn't even know what shame was. But shame is something that someone puts on somebody else. And, or, they or they put it on themselves. So I want 
to just, I wanted to touch base on that. And I also wanted to say a couple other things. Um, this is the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. And I want to, I'm probably not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read the first stanza because this is just what makes me, this is what makes me feel like I exist on the planet. This is what makes me feel joy and a sense of purpose. And I don't know if it will help you, but I do think, like I said, there are boundaries that we have to have with people and we don't want to subject anybody to somebody who is dangerous to them or toxic to them. That's different. So I'm saying that loud and clear. But in the general world, it's nice if you can kind of pay attention to see if you do see some random acts of kindness or, you know, pay attention to that. Hey, if I did something nice with somebody else, not for the accolades, but just for the sake of doing it, see how you feel. So that's just a little homework. Um, but the, the prayer of St. Francis is, God, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. It's about giving back. It's about loving. You know, an immature way of thinking about love is, I am loved because I'm loved. I, I love because I'm loved. Instead, a mature, more mature way of thinking about loving, and that's what we're here to do, is I love because I am love. And if you act that way, you will, if you make a, even the tiniest difference in someone else's life, that will make you feel good. And that will make you feel whole and it will make you feel peace. So there's one other thing I wanted to share, and then I'll be quiet because I've gone way over time here. Um, but it's something that I've always, um, I used to do in my groups. I had, I had a group where, um, you know, on an inpatient unit and also partial day treatment, and I used to run groups. They called me the group guru for a while. I guess I was fairly, fairly okay at it for a time. I kind of miss it. But I want to tell you, like, it's kind of like a Cherokee story, but I, I used to use this a lot, and I just stumbled upon it recently because I've been looking. I'm looking for all of my old stuff that was so cool that I want to share with you guys down the road. This is the story of two wolves. Sim, some of you may have heard this before, but I think it's truly essential. If you are going to, I want you to think about your mind, guarding your mind, taking care of your mind. The story of two wolves, an old Cherokee Indian chief was teaching his grandson about life. He said, a fight is going on, going on inside me. He told the young boy, a fight between two wolves. The dark one is evil. He's anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the light wolf is good. He is joy, 
peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you, grandson, and inside of every other person on the face of this earth. The grandson ponders this for a moment, and then he asked, Grandfather, which wolf will win? And the old Cherokee smiled and simply said, The one that you feed. If you think about the things that you think about, it's very, very easy to get caught up in the negativity. And we need negativity, right? Because we need suffering. We need, if we didn't have suffering in our lives, you know, they're, they're, we're here right now on purpose. You know, there's no accidents. We're all here. Um, it, it's important to remember that um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, my God. What was said, I saying? You said we're all here. No, no, no. The, the the feeding of the 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 feeding of the negativity and versus the joy. It's it's to find the balance. Pay attention to your mind because your mind can play tricks on your body. It can play tricks. It it just it can it can be a lot of smoke and mirrors. Pay attention to the wounds, and just always remember that is the perfect story a perfect tale or fable or short story of what Einstein was saying the whole time. Do I live? The most important question we can ask ourselves is do we live in a friendly or a hostile universe? The other morning I woke up on the wrong side of the bed and let me tell you something. I was living in a hostile universe. Okay. I was, I was in a bad mood and I realized it after a few hours. I'm just like, wait a minute. What's really going on here? I found myself in a really bad headspace. And I had to reel myself in and remind myself, my gosh, I lost track. I have to get back on track. I have to get back on track. Because once you pay attention to the beauty that's around you, there's beauty everywhere. If you really want to read a good book, read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. It's absolutely one of the most important books you could ever read. It's about a, a famous psychiatrist who is in Auschwitz, lost his family members. He was a very prominent um, uh, psychiatrist. He was very well known and um, before you know World War II. And he was in Auschwitz, and he was he's, he was talking about how you know the horrible treatment, obviously. Um, of the people, the Jewish people, but he noticed while he was in the concentration camp that other people, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, um, that the other people would, once they, they would die, not of just because they gave up, because they couldn't find any hope. And probably most of us would feel that under those circumstances. But he was determined, Viktor Frankl was determined to get through it. He was determined to survive. And the only way that he was able to survive was to find beauty in his, circ in his current circumstances. And he survived. But he used this, um, this uh, example of they used to, to feed them, um, the prisoners, 
uh, dirty water um, once a day. And, and he said his had a fish head in it. Um, and he said, I had to, I had to figure out how to find peace and joy and meaning in a fish head in dirty water. So if you don't scramble and try to get this book, it definitely will put things into perspective, but that's the gist of it. And I don't do it any justice, but just don't give up hope. It's a journey. We're all on a journey and it's not always easy and we stumble and we fall. And Cor keeps telling me to say shame again, but I'm not. I'm going to do what I want to do. You're changing the topic. So what? All right. So anyway, love you guys. Thank you guys. God bless you guys. Um, You deserve it. And be well, and we'll talk to you next week. Well, that was very well done. Um, So Julie altered the topic, but I think her points are incredibly valid. Um... You know, I tend to be more of the clinical one, and Julie tends to be more esoteric. And if you want to learn more, if you guys haven't listened to the episode we did on existential therapy, we talked all about Viktor Frankl and alluded to the same story. Uh, and a lot of people have reached out um, that have read the book, and we're so grateful for that resource. So I know that I started this off with shame, and I think Julie's piece is really important about grounding and peace. And uh, for those of you who listen on a weekly basis, I am not a fan or advocate of dialectic behavioral therapy at all because I was trained in cognitive therapy and emotions have no place in therapy. But if you find peace and you are getting better, call it what you want. I'm just, I was just simply presenting two different models. So that's, you know, also what makes our relationship work is we, we can disagree on different things. And that's also how the field has evolved is because people disagreed and they created new ideas. So as a, a final note of shame is if you're suffering with mental health, remove the shame. Don't add additional baggage. Um, put the work in. It takes time. It takes effort. It may take therapy and medication, the combination of the two, but you will get to that destination unless you, I mean, you don't have to be relegated to the pain that you are living your life in, independent of what the diagnosis is. So until next time, um, you can now get a hold of us on Instagram. It's psychology underscore unplugged underscore Um you can get a hold of me through Psychology Today. You can email me directly, uh, psychologyunplugged at outlook.com. You can even contact me directly, text me, call me, 617-750-9411. I get East Coast Standard Time. I do my best to get back to everybody. So thank you again. Um, a heartfelt thank you to all the followers that we have, and hopefully we are impacting people's lives in a, in a positive way. I'll have another topic next week, um, but this is one that I wanted to kind of really be from the perspective of, like, we, we say shame on you. This is really about shame off you. All right, guys, be well. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I will talk to you. Bye.